HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Cane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Cane5.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, and today we have two guests. Uh, super excited. We have our very first return guest, Mr. Ryan Looper from T. Edward Wines, a good friend of mine. Uh, welcome back, Ryan. Wow, I'm honored. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> Appreciate it. And uh, and also um, excited one of one of the the most exciting winemakers um, for sure in in the United States right now Steve Mathiason from Mathiason uh, Winery as well as a winemaker for for multiple other wineries uh, uh, I guess a viticulturalist for multiple other wineries in California so uh, Steve welcome uh, welcome on the show thank you uh, you know I I, I, I I'd, I'd be happy to tell you one your story, but I, I'd love for you to kind of just go go through what got you first into wine, and then how you got to uh, having your own your own label after consulting and and helping other people with uh, with their viticulture for years. I mean, my entire life, we we grew up with a box of of wine in the fridge, and uh, <laughs> and that was often over ice next to the in the backyard in the patio, and. Um, you know, I mean, it just you know, we brewed beer in college was, but really, it's it's um, you know, gardening and being with plants, and that's that's where the passion started, and has always been been through from a kid being on my cousin's farm in North Dakota, gardening in high school, gardening in college, brewing beer in college, um, gardening in San Francisco, and um, and being into wine from you know, having that first fake ID at Trader Joe's, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and just kind of you know, th- I remember reading the back labels, and it would say this goes with chicken, perfect. I want to get this one, you know, and um, you know, having incredible afternoon on the on a blanket in the park, drinking a bottle of wine and mm. reading Jack Kerouac, you know, and so um, you know, wine. I, this is hard. You can't. Wine is life. I mean, you can't. You know, it's just it accompanies any occasion. It's just um, 
you know, hard to, how can you imagine not being into wine? And what was your first winemaking gig? When, when did you first realize that you wanted to do this as a career path? Um, I, I still kind of wonder whether I'm doing wine as a career path. I mean, my day job, my day job is taking care of vineyards for people yeah. and consulting on vineyards. Um, you know, I went to Davis and, and um, ended up getting an internship working for a consulting company um, while at school. When I went, showed up at Davis, told the advisor I wanted to learn how to farm, and he said, you're not going to learn that here. You have to go work on a farm. So you know, I ended up taking an internship, but we ended up with a consulting company and sort of learned the trade. There's a trade of, of consulting in agriculture. There's, you know, a, a farmer, most farmers tend to have someone who comes around and helps them with their bugs and their fertilizers, uh, you know, their irrigation. And, um, and, and I was really interested in organic farming. And a lot of growers trying to become organic, they've been conventional, they need help as well. And so, so I, I sort of learned about, you know, the beneficial insects and things like that. And then the farmers, my, the clients I was working for taught me about, um, you know, tractors and how to till the soil and all those sorts of things. And so that was really, that's been, you know, that was the way I always wanted to do. And that's still what I love doing. And the Four Seasons Ag Consulting happened to consult on vineyards. And so, so that was perfect because I already loved wine and, um, you know, you, but the thing about grapes is, and wine is that they start in the vineyard, they end up in the bottle. So there's like a process. You know, it's it's a seamless process. But so if you're just growing the grapes or you're just making the wine, that's not really a complete, you know, process of flow. It's not. There's no gestalt there. And so after ten or so years of consulting on grapes, it was. Um, I just sort of felt like I need to take this through, take the to the second half of it. It was, it was more just this sort of logical progression. And when you you started making uh, your own wine, um, you started you found some some vineyards that had grapes that weren't necessarily common in California, uh, like Robola Jala, for instance, Semillon. Um, what what inspired you to use these kind of you know offbeat grapes? Right. So you know, one of the amazing people. Uh, all these amazing people that I've run across over the years, and one of them is George Vare, and he's just a really neat guy, a real mentor for me. Um, he's been in the business since the early '70s, and he still carries his passion for wine. That um, he's just amazing for someone who's been in the wine business for 40 years. So many people get jaded, and he he's, just loves wine. He loves sort of young people that are into it, and he. He was. He had discovered Ebola Giala. He had started Luna Winery as as a retirement project for himself back in the '90s. And in researching Pinot Grigio with John Consgard, their first winemaker, he was sort of tagging along as the sort of manager finance guy. And he discovered Ebola Giala in in um, Friuli on one of their trips. Fell in love with it, and um, and I was working for him on taking care of his vineyard. And he's like, "Hey, I have this budwood. I got it from the Grovner Vineyard." And, you know, this stuff's called Robola Jala. We need to graft it in the vineyard. And, um, you know, you just, again, you know, my experience up to then was, well, when I first started with Four Seasons Ag Consulting, it was like Chenin Blanc, Grenache, all these like big, what at the time were jug varieties in the Central Valley. And then it was like, okay, now we've made it to the big time. It's Cabernet and Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc. And so, you know, so in California, especially at that time, you just didn't get a lot of, um, you know, other than like Kermit Lynch, 
you didn't get a whole lot of, of things, interesting things come over from Europe. And so I'd never heard of Ribola Jolly. I didn't know anything about that. So we, but we grafted it and kind of grew it. And um, it's pretty challenging to grow. And, and so that was a bit of a struggle. And um, and then he was making the wine with Abe Scherner. Scolian Project was, he's a good old friend of mine. That He was the winemaker for George then. And they ferment the stuff um, on its skins. It was like 2003. And so um, it was totally bizarre. And so we went to... Um, and put it in a 500 milliliter bottle or yeah, something, right? Yeah, I've had I've had a few of those bottles. I, I remember telling Abe uh, years later when I found out that he was involved, I was like, oh, I've had the Vare wine. <laughs> he, I'm like, I, I thought that wine was really exciting. And he, he thought it was really adorable that, <laughs> that I called it Vare. But I just assumed yeah. because it's so, you know... Uh, Inspired and, and reminiscent of those wines from Friuli, um, I thought I thought that was really a really a, a great effort. Uh, and turning to you, huh. Ryan, uh, when you see something like uh, in in your book, something like a skin macerated wine from from the states, like uh, the Salinia uh, mm. Pinot Gris that that we have, or or in the Matthiasen Ribola Jala blend like freely inspired blend from the napa valley of all places <laughs> what what do you think are, are people receptive to these wines or is Very, it a mixed bag yeah it's a mixed bag uh, but i i've had the people that i work with are, are very open-minded i'm very lucky in that way um and i think the the other side of california where you have some varietals that aren't the typical chardonnay pinot noir cab now syrah also um I think going into that direction, you're, you, you can find some other angles, some other beautiful expressions from California. And I think everyone's into that. I, I, it's taken a little while. I mean, think about it. 2003, they're right. fermenting Ribola on the skins. And now I think it's more people are seeing that there's some value in looking into other ways of making wine and other varietals from California. So I think, I think there's, I know there's something there. Um, people are responding very well. And Steve, so you have on the uh, the label, it just, the, I'm looking at the front label right now, it has Matthiasen and then Napa Valley white wine. It kind of reminds me a, a lot of um, uh, like Eddie Kaber wine. And I don't know mm-hmm. if you're familiar with Eddie Kaber up mm-hmm. in Friuli, who made a, uh, uh, used to make a variety of, of white wines, single uh, grape white wines, and then kind of threw it all up in the air and said, you know, instead of that, I'm just going to make one wine called Colio Bianco, called Eddie Kaber Colio Bianco. And the idea for this is that it should express the Colio, which is a region in, in Friuli, but should express that and, and making these kind of single grape wines is not as expressive because then it's more, more about the grape. Uh, is that at all what you're going for? <laughs> That's uh, wild. We were just talking about this, actually. Yeah. You know, this is a this is a blended sort of crafted created wine, and and you know when I first originally we, we had a blended red, and I thought I want you know and 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 I had a very I had something in mind when I was doing that, and and with the white again I had something in mind, and um, that's why we called it white wine. The idea is, you know, it's it's a white wine, and um and it was it, and it, so what Eddie Caver had in mind is probably what I had in mind there. I, we had two wines, a white and a red, and. And that, and that was the case for a few years, and then ended up having a Chardonnay just sort of fell into me because I planted a Chardonnay vineyard, and then I, and I wanted to make wine out of it. And now the floodgates have kind of opened up, and I've got wine ADD, have to do like 12 <laughs> single vineyard wines. 
But Steve, but you got the white you, is still the that's the core. That's our that is our sort of flagship. That white wine, and and it's interesting. That, um, this, um, Etienne Monti came and visited um, a few months ago, and I poured that wine for him. I was really curious what he was going to say, and he said, he he said, you know, you've created a wine here that has never existed before, and he said. For, for me, that's inconceivable. Um, you know, where I'm from, we don't create wine. You know, we reveal terroir, and and it's, it was a, it was it was a really interesting conversation. Sort of thinking about, I, I hadn't really thought of it in that in in that way, but um, it's a completely different mindset to sort of craft a blended wine versus a single vineyard. And the, you know, you just you can't compare them. They're two different approaches. We were talking earlier about about the bottle of wine that kind of made you think about blending and what that can do in a white wine. Yeah, uh, it's it, so so Enzo awesome Enzo concern. Pantoni in, um, at Miani um, really was really generous with his time, spent a day with us in the vineyards and with the wines, and that was that that was a um, that was before I started with our white, and that was a um, it was a huge epiphany for me that you that you could blend whites. And so I, I had in my mind that, I, that um, you know, I wanted to make it, I love refreshing whites. I work outside. And so, you know, so if I drink a beer, it's going to be a Pilsner. If it's a, you know, if I drink a wine, it's, it needs to be a white with a lot of acid and not a whole lot of alcohol. It's just, you know, that's what I like. And so, you know, you make wine for yourself. I think um, <clears throat> it's too much work, you know, get, you, you know, I can't imagine making wine that you don't like. It's just inconceivable to me. And so, um, so, so I knew I was going to make a high acid, lower alcohol white, but I felt like I had to give up rich, richness and complexity, I guess, to do that. And then tasting Miani's Bianco, I realized that you can have you can you can have your cake and eat it too, basically. And you know, just, but it's like, so you think about like um, Chateau Neuf de Pop. I mean, they figured that out a long time ago. But um, but for some reason I hadn't figured that out, and so until having the the Biancos and Friuli, and so that so you know came back and said okay and come up with my you know, work with the ingredients that I have, which is you know have Savion Blanc, I need Semillon to balance the city, and then Savion Blanc, the Rebola, you know, get, provides a finish and provides layers and complexity, and the and then Tokai Friulano is this really nice lift, and that's that's the blend. Couldn't you accomplish the the same thing though by? Perhaps moving to a cooler part of the state than the Napa Valley. You know, Napa, um, the Napa Valley is has this amazing. It's 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 just it's sort of like just right. It's just warm enough. It's just cool enough. And you know we're in the southern part of the Napa Valley, so it's from where I, where I live and where our, our vineyards are to Calistoga could be in the summer could be a fifteen degree difference. You know regularly. So you know we could be eighty, eighty where we are, and ninety-five in Calistoga. So it's so where I am down in the Oak Knoll area. If you look at the degree days, is probably pretty similar to, um, you know, sort of maybe the warmer part of the Russian River Valley. Mm-hmm. It's a different because we get a little warmer during the day, a little cooler at night. But um, you know, it's the it's the richness. It, it, it's you know that's it's the um, you know I love cool climate wines. Um, that's not what I, I I don't want this wine to be a quote unquote cool climate wine because it's not only about sort of bracing cleansing minerality there is a richness there that that requires sun and so that's it's you know and that's you know and the blend accentuates accentuates that sort of 
dichotomy between richness and freshness. But even if as a single wine, like our Chardonnay from Linda Vista is, is also Napa Valley, it's actually, that wine's brighter than our Sonoma Coast Chardonnay, partly because that soil, Sonoma Coast is rocky, rocky soil, the, uh, so you get a higher level of ripeness. But, but you still have, even though we have, it's a very bright, that Chardonnay is very bright, it's, there's a, um, you know, a, a nice ripe Bartlett pear and, and, a, and a little bit of, of sort of that sort of I don't know, call it golden weight that I think a Chardonnay really um, and it really needs. That's part of the pleasure of Chardonnay. Right. So. Do you, when, when you're bringing uh, when you're bringing someone one of Steve's Chardonnays, for instance, hmm. who you, you know mostly deals with the the not as maybe not as balanced or just the the Chardonnays are a little bit riper and, and maybe have a little bit more oak. Uh, do you actually do you try to not bring his wines to those people, or do you try to bring them and then say this is this is still Chardonnay, but it's a it's a different kind of thing? Um, what goes through your thought process when bringing out Steve's wines? I, what you just said is dead on. I, I I try and challenge just enough. If if the moment is right, I I show up and I and I bring something that challenges the idea. And what I would say is, it's a wine that's not es- trying to escape the terroir of Napa or wherever it's from, Sonoma, but it it has a little bit more acidity. This is, he makes a, I think Steve makes very food-friendly, drinkable wines. And that's what I love. I mean, if we go there, most everybody kind of comes together. Uh, if you go, like, do you like oak? If, if I'm just talking about vinification, then I'm probably doing it the wrong way. Yeah. <laughs> so, Steve, uh, you were named one of uh, San Francisco Chronicles Winemakers of the Year, Food and Wine Magazine Winemaker of the Year. Uh, have you noticed that uh, that you're able to sell more wine or have new opportunities? Or how, how has that changed your business model? It's really helped. I mean, we've... Again, we think about that skin fermenting Robola Jala in two thousand and three. You know, it's um, you know that there was no market for that then, right? And so, so it's um, you know, there's been a whole long, like, like on the one hand, is Food and Wine Magazine Winemaker of the Year, which is so helpful. I am so thankful for that. Um, but it's not like getting hundred points with Robert Parker, you know. And so it's it's um, it's been a haul trying, you know, it. it the California, California is so stigmatized in sort of the world of, um, of really you know, wine cognoscenti, I guess, as I would put it, and for good reason. But it's um, it's it's a slow process, and it really it's really requiring and helping. It's helping to get the support of, and a lot of it's the young up and coming sommeliers that are willing to give California a chance again and, and not automatically go to Europe for balanced wines. You know, we can't make balanced wines in California if we aren't supported in the marketplace in our efforts to make balanced wines. And so it, so it, has, it was a struggle with a Napa Valley wine getting, you know, the, the, the Napa um, Psalms saying, well, that doesn't taste like Napa, I don't want it. <laughs> the... You know, more adventuresome or you know, classic psalms saying, "I don't really want a Napa wine," or "I'm not really interested." And and is, is that even possible to make a balanced wine in Napa Valley? And and they they're they're so it's so now having having things like food and wine get behind it, and having this whole new generation of psalms who are um, 
this incredibly open-minded and try and really about education. It's I mean the, the Somalia culture is is evolving so fast, and it's like this whole burgeoning, exciting thing going on right now in Somalia culture, and um, and all of that is just for me is just incredible. I mean now I feel like I feel like there's a a this community out there that is that wants me to keep making wine and make more wine and that's and that's it's definitely a new thing and it's great okay i'm going to ask you both something to think about during our break what do you think that the uh the future is the next the next few years um for for these kind of wines in california think about this during the break and we'll be right back with in the drink You're listening to Onion's Milk by Iggy Dean on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery. Thank you for listening to the show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Cane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. For more information, visit Cane5.com. And we're back on In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm here with, just a little reminder, with Ryan Looper, a good friend of mine from T. Edward Wines, um, who happens to represent uh, the Matthiasen Winery. And also here is uh, Steve Matthiasen, the uh, owner and uh, viticulturalist and, and winemaker of Matthiasen Winery and uh, winemaker of the year for multiple publications <laughs> but uh, we, were, we were talking a little bit about the uh, the current state of wine in california and uh where it's going in the future and uh i i would love to i'd love to hear your thoughts about what what do you think's happening uh the next few years it <clears throat> two or three years ago i felt like like i not only knew pretty much all of the what i would consider exciting new winemakers in napa but knew that not not of them but knew them personally now i have no idea there is so much going on that um you know it's way beyond being able to keep track of it it's it's um you know i mean i I, I, there's so many good new wines coming out of california just getting started it's it's crazy it there's it's a it's tip of the iceberg it's it's um you know there's it's really exciting time for California and people and and it's great because it's the spirit of California is, you know this California is this place that you go to and do sort of do you know there are less rules right and so so you have some people that are f- passionate about Riesling or they're passionate about some you know the Jura or they're passionate about whatever and then but then they're going to try to do it in California and do it their own way and um and yeah, there's tons of stuff. I, I think that we're going to see California being um, just a um, very, very relevant and exciting, you know, region for dis- for wine discovery, which is what it should be. Yeah, when we opened up uh, Delanima, I, I I never in a million years would have thought I'd have a California wine on 
any of our lists. You know, this was six years ago. And it just it never crossed my mind that, that that would happen, that there would ever be wines in California that were that were that exciting to me. Uh, and and now, uh, you, you know, now we have one of our restaurant lists is, is half American wines, and the majority of them are California. And I, I originally was going to do two-thirds Italian and one-third American, and then it grew to half, and now it may be a little bit more than half. And I think just the, this this dynamism, this just uh, all of these creative people um, getting together and, and changing it around is is probably what draws me to it so much. And then also the surprise. I really like how wine can be a, a surprise and a discovery for people. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the first things that we did on our on our first list at, was we opened up an Italian restaurant with no prosecco or pinot grigio, and. My idea that was there there was there are people who are going to ask for these wines often, and I wanted to show them other wines that that fit their same kind of flavor profile, but was maybe a different a different grape or a different region or so, or something new so I never thought California could give you that same cor- same sort of sense of discovery and, and new experience and I feel like like Ryan you, you've introduced me to to a bunch of uh, new California wines like that the pet nat. Uh, right. How cool is that wine? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I, I there's so much exciting stuff in California that people don't know about. There are old plantings of Napa Gamay. There'll be Gamay Noir coming out. There'll be uh, old school white Zinfandel coming out, uh, like Draper style. Like, there's just a lot. There's a return to the past, and there's a new. And I really love the the dynamic of that coming from California because I think. Um, we're at the tip of the iceberg. I uh, just to return to what we were talking about mm-hmm. earlier. There are some people that are a little hesitant because it's been such an old world focused market in New York, and I think as it comes around, it's going to be really an amazing time for for California wine. Yeah, that, that's a a really good point. I think uh, Somalis in New York pride themselves on knowing that the old world regions, can mm-hmm. re- especially you see like. Uh, Burgundy and Ries and you know the various Riesling, uh, Germany and Austria and and, and Piedmont. And, uh, those those are the places that uh, Amer- the New York Somalis get get super excited about. But you know as we're, as we're going towards uh, the idea of using do- domestic products and, and local products, I think that people do want to get behind uh, a wine that's made here in the United States. Um, cool. Not not that it's maybe any more local because <laughs> it is you know on the other side of the country, but but it feels like you know I, I think I'd like to support something that comes from from the US that that feels that feels good, but only as long as it's something that that fits in the ethos of the of the restaurant and, and the rest of your wine list, uh, and 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 I think it's it, it's definitely getting there. I mean, um, how, what do you what do you feel? So you you found that that working closely with the Somali. Uh, um, uh, community has been the probably the most beneficial thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the the sommeliers. I mean, that that those uh, you know, wineries have different, I guess, ways of getting out there into the world. And and you know, I mean, our wines are for food, and sommeliers have been you know that's a huge focus for us. I, I, I'm writing a column for the Guild of Sommeliers on viticultural practices, and just any any opportunity that I have to interact. I think you know. And it's a and so a lot of my winemaking, you know, over the years you go work the market and and tasting with sommeliers and restaurants. I mean, that I, the feedback I get has fed into my own development as a winemaker. I mean, it's a two way 
it's a two-way street. But, you know, we don't. I don't have the opportunity to taste wines the way an average sommelier does. You know, every day they're tasting wines from all over the world, and so it's, you know, the education is both ways. What's exciting? I, I'm just realizing as you're talking about, we have in this in this uh, shipping container in Bushwick right now. <laughs> we have uh, the the person who made the wine the distributor, and then the person who serves the wine to the guests. So it's kind of the, the whole chain. Oh, wow. Or at least, you know, not the whole chain, but, but uh, three parts of the chain. <laughs> uh, that, and uh, that, that's really exciting. So, I, I mean, I'd love to taste the wine that, that you brought. Uh, what, what are we tasting here? Okay, this 2010 white wine. Um, so it's been, it's been in bottle for about almost two years now, so it should be just coming around, filling out. Should I go through it? Go through it, please. <laughs> okay, so it's it's a very sparkling straw wine. Um, you know, I, generally I think that there's, you know, on the nose you have Meyer lemon, um, some honeysuckle, some fig. Um, I don't know if, you know, what you get but um it's it's definitely that lemon oil there's 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 lemon but a more complex lemon it's not just like straight lemon juice but yeah maybe like meyer lemon meyer lemon lemon zest i'm super excited too (laughs) that that you started going into the whole like the whole like guild of some like <laughs> tasting note with with looking at the color and the and the the nose i was not expecting you to do that i thought you're gonna, you're gonna say that 2010 was uh, a warm year with even conditions <laughs> or something like that but that, that that that's really exciting i mean I, I i could see working a whole day in the vineyard and then wanting to drink this at night it's just totally my mouth is watering it's it's super refreshing and and uh very very delicious and i i like how it is refreshing but still complex uh which is which is also something that sometimes you can have just like if you have like one of those really simple beers that's nice in a in a dumb nice kind of way it's like ah oh, just a relaxation but this there's if you want to pay more attention to it there's there's quite a bit going on um i think you're dead on with the the description before there 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 has there's some some richness and the high acid you have two dimensions that are going on at once which I like in this wine a lot mm-hmm. and I like that the, the richness does put you in California and yeah. I, I want the wine to be from California I just want it to be balanced and yeah. so I think that, that you really you really do accomplish that with uh, with this one can you tell me a little bit about the the label it's uh, really curious to me so so those are pruning shears it's a whole montage of pruning shears and um it's um you know pruning you know the, that's a tool that we use it's the you know I try, I'm trying to celebrate the craft that's involved in tending vines and you know the whole process of winemaking is a craft and and um and you know the tools are important you know they're in that sort of montage it's or, sort of organic but you know it's but 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 it's organic on the one sense but on the other sense there's you know the underlying structure of it is that it's a tool and so a good friend, Michael McDermott, is the label designer. And I think we were at like his third label that he, that he did. And he's gone on to do a ton of really great labels. He's, just an, he's an incredible artist. And, um, and it, so when, when he, he, he sort of wasn't a label designer, 
yet he was again he was just getting started and he was more of an artist when we originally did our label and that was something that was really important to us was was that the label is a work of art you know it's 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 not it's you know it's not it's some focus group saying this will stand out on the thing this is you know you don't have a marketing department <laughs> no marketing department it's you know it's 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 art and we want to we want to um you know it's, celebrate it's you that. know it's it's beautiful and, and uh, it's, uh, just as as you're talking about this, and I'm noticing, you know, the the label with with the pruning shears. I'm, I'm just thinking about how the maybe not the new superstar, but the new person who's getting the recognition is now the the viticulturalist, maybe instead mm-hmm. of of the winemaker. And that's I think a marked change as opposed to maybe ten years ago when. Right. Yeah, or if even even more recently. So we're winemakers, and you know, even winemakers who uh, travel around the world are the ones who are are getting a lot of notoriety. And I think that that goes in line with the kind of wines that that people like to drink. Um, but uh, that was just an observation. But something that something else that I've been thinking about is uh, for for many years you've been uh, and, and you still do uh, grow grapes for for other wineries. Um, what from that time um, did you say, oh, wow, I've learned that and I want to do that with my own winery when I'm making my own wine? And what were things that kind of shocked and horrified and you're like, oh, I'm totally not doing that to, to my grapes? <laughs> <laughs> to the grapes, interesting. Um, you know, because I mean, there's so many things I've picked up along the way. I mean, on the, in the vineyard is just you, you know you learn from every piece of land you learn something you learn, you you know it's just experience farming farming is experience there's you know you need to build up a body of experience and then and you try things again next year um, on the you know working with these winemakers with these, with different vineyards there are, you know, when I talk about the craft I mean like any craft is I don't whether you're a plumber or a potter or a chef or a winemaker is you know is you building up a whole lot of of sort of just little skills on how to do various little mundane things and if you have you know eventually you assemble enough this hopefully vast body of really mundane little skills and then and then you can you then can use them and make decisions and make things happen so you know like how you know how do you how do you filter how do you filter how do you prep a filter how do you get rid of the flavor of a filter pad how do you just how do you actually do that i mean there, there it's um it's not it's not there's no book there's no instruction manual you know you you have to stand there next to winemakers who are doing it and watch them and and learn and try to figure out how how to do it and and so um so the more sellers you you can be in, you know, the, my advantage is I've been a fly as the as the vineyard guy, I've been a fly on the wall in tons of wine cellars, and so you see how how they do things and um and go to the next cellar and see how they do things and and that's how, and, and you know I I'm self taught winemaker but it's been but it's but I I just I can't even count the number of cellars that I've spent time in and just chatting with the winemaker and and him you know. You know, we're talking about the fruit and how it worked out, but by the way, here's how we're. Um, you know, I, I decided it wasn't working for me, so I went. To, I did punch down three times per day, or my I tried to to swirl the punch down device at the bottom to swirl up the the lees back in a suspension without crunching the seeds down there. You know, and you know there there's so many little things to a punch down, 
And, um, and uh, so those are the type of things I've picked up, all just these little things. And, and, what, and, then, and then equally what not to do is you, you, you look at the vineyard, you see the grapes, you work with the grapes maybe, you see the, the, how the wine is made, and then you taste the wine. And you can see, okay, they did X, and boy, I don't like that wine. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so I'm not going to do that. And um, <clears throat> we were talking earlier yeah. about about stem inclusion with the yeah. Cab Franc and how how the typical some of the people some of the people you work in the vineyards for would looked at you like you were crazy. Oh yeah, the, the idea of putting stems in a Cab Franc to, because you, you feel the fruit is not green enough <laughs> it was um, pretty pretty um, crazy <laughs> but for my peers. You know, but um, seeing what the effect of stems are on wine, it's like, okay, in this particular case, I want, I, in that particular year of that particular wine, I wanted that because I was afraid that we, the Cab Franc had, we got a heat spell and, and, had, and we'd lost some of that, that green character that I really wanted in that Cab Franc. Wow. Well, I think it, it takes, sometimes it takes crazy people to, uh, to make changes happen and, and to create uh, beautiful products such as, such as uh, your wine. Um, well, you're definitely uh, going to be able to find these wines at, at La Picho, that's, that's for sure. Um, uh, and Steve, thank you so much, Ryan Looper. Thank As you very always, much. you're the man. Uh, hopefully, you'll be our first three-time guest. <laughs> I really hope so. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and, and thanks to all for, for listening. Um, this was In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.